If you're not ready to change gear neurologically, this podcast is not for you. These particularly challenging times can actually be seen as a life-giving opportunity for expansion, disguised as an impossible situation. As we grow into our own wholeness through this global great awakening, we are more aware than ever that we are all one. Join with us to raise the collective consciousness, whole and one. You've got this. Here is your host, Sheila Ihirain. Hello and welcome everyone to Whole and One with Sheila. You're tuned to Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And the aim of this show is to introduce you to the people and the ideas that will bring you ever closer to mind-derived health optimization. To that end, the series aims to teach you how to manage your self-talk, build a healthy relationship with anxiety, and rewrite your narrative. Tell yourself that different story. It's quite like doing a bicep curl for your brain. Join us weekly to hear the stories of love, wisdom, and truth that have completely changed the lives of our specially selected guests. And remember, guys, nothing has any meaning except the meaning that you give it. So we're joined on today's show by Stephen Moore. Stephen is from Stirling in Scotland. He's a writer, and he's presently editor-in-chief of the Postgrad Survival Guide. He's a columnist with Marker, Forge, Debugger, and Future Human. Stephen, you're very welcome to the show. Hi there, thanks for having me. Great to be chatting with you. So what I didn't mention amongst your many ongoing projects is that you're also writing a book, which isn't even a COVID creation. It's been incubating for quite a while longer than that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it must be in its maybe third iteration now. Of, um, so there's a couple of scrapped, what they say, on the cutting room floor. There's a couple of drafts there. Couple but of drafts. Um, now it's serious, yeah. Good stuff. And so has it become more serious during COVID? Did you find that you had more time on your hands and now is the time to devote to the book? Yeah, definitely. The first ever full draft was created in COVID. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't realise. I thought this had been going on before COVID. And then at this time, then you realised more time on my hands need to get my shoulder to the wheel here. I think maybe, what would you say, blueprinting beforehand. I see, I see. um, Thought thought mapping, like out the book. um, And then sort of testing that with an audience, getting the the feedback I didn't want, and then starting again, you know, and so on and so forth. The feedback you didn't want. Who dared to give you feedback (laughs) you didn't want? That's the the best kind of feedback, really. Oh, and can you tell us what the book is about? So I'm right, I am making a visual companion guide for beginner to early writers. I love Does that it. make sense? It's still, still work in progress. It absolutely, no, no, it absolutely does. And very interesting indeed, because you also had a post recently on LinkedIn, which was um, the seven steps process to help you get your thoughts from your brain to paper. So I presume this is like a little taster of what is to come. Yeah, yeah. So the book will contain frameworks, stories and quotes that will hopefully motivate and guide new to beginner writer so that frame that seven step process would be a framework as such is that one framework within yeah, like the book one, or th- yeah yeah you got it yeah 
Very good. So the whole book is devoted to frameworks like that. So various yeah. approaches that writers can use. Very, very interesting. So the seven steps process that you referenced on LinkedIn pertained to uh, brain dumping, dirty editing, tidy editing, sleep on it, clean editing, paper feedback, and final edit. I absolutely love it. We won't dare try and come up with a mnemonic because it would be too long and it could get very naughty. So um, after you dump, uh, it can be dirty till you tidy it, you sleep on it then. It's probably a little bit cleaner. You get some feedback and uh, the final edit should make you good to go. So will you tell us about that seven-step process then? Yeah, so that's kind of just something that I've now been, I guess, perfecting for almost four years now. And um, it's 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 uh, I don't know how to. I think basically a lot of people from being on the editing side of it, I can see that people are missing out a lot of these steps. Okay, and which steps do you feel? So they 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 put everything down and they presume it to be final. Is it Stephen, rather than editing their own work or teasing it out as you say to get the feedback, maybe that they don't necessarily want, but feedback that is constructive. Can be yeah, or other people can can go the other way and start fine-tuning and editing too quickly and sort of ruining their train of thought. So, you know, you you know yourself when you get into this sort of, what would you call it, a flow state, I sure. guess. Of, if you stop to edit, you break your flow state. Okay. And, and so a lot of writers edit too fast. They're straight away they're touching with, oh, is that they or them? Is that it or are? You know, they're into the nitty-gritty and that I keeps... Know stopping the process of getting from brain to paper to paper indeed because even in its own right it is so time consuming apart from the creative idea that you have apart from the final edit by the time you've gone through this seven step process quite literally putting something down on through your laptop or handwriting it whatever is your modus operandi five minutes can become five hours and you may have you know a, a two minute content written if you if you are too careful with it is it to do with self-esteem do you think is it to do with confidence uh definitely and i think i think also just takes maybe a bit of um or just sort of faith in your own ability that like you can get to the editing later and you will edit it. That's fine. Okay. So just keep writing, keep writing. Just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Keep writing. And are you talking about all genres of writing or is this particularly with creative work? Because if you're doing something that's very uh, journalistic, there probably isn't, uh, you know, it's probably quite matter of fact. You, you've, you've got the details or you don't. And I suppose editing is very important at a very early stage at that point. Whereas with creative work, it would, it would be very mm. necessary to give yourself the time and space to just brain dump, as you say. I, I love that reference. Just brain dump to see what it looks like and then tidy up at a later point. I used to call that brain spew, but it seemed a bit, uh, that's not as nice. Very graphic. Very graphic. <laughs> I think I, I, I used to say that to us in university. That's what they called it. But um, I think um, my column for Marcus very journalistic writing. Okay. And that's me looking at more like case study work of companies, businesses, and I still follow the same process. I try and throw everything I want to speak about down and then worry about structure, formatting into, you know, intro arguments, outro, and then finally on to spelling mistakes. So it's maybe just what works for me. I can understand other people would, you know, not want to do this. Writing is a very personal thing, so... 
I suppose, how, well, it is, of course, exactly as you say, because it's very personal. They're your thoughts, even if it is something that's journalistic and it's reporting upon something, whether you're trying to be neutral and wait until the end before you opinionate, it is still very much your take on things. And so it is very personal and therefore your approach will always be very personal. But I love the structure. And I know when I was training in psychotherapy, we were given a structure which called rigor, which from the very beginning gave me a sense of confidence around knowing that every session in my therapy room would have a beginning, a middle and an end. I know my structure. My client doesn't need to know that. But within the structure, I have confidence because I'm following in my mind's eye and ticking off each of the stages as they should happen within the session. And I realize if it's not flowing in that way that I need to reassess very quickly. So structure is really important for building your confidence and literally so that you know what's coming next, so that your client has confidence or in your case, so that your reader is reading with confidence in you. So the the brain spew, as you say, leads to the dirty edit. So who does the dirty edit? Is it yourself that does the dirty edit or is this where you go through the marker process? I know you talked about um, you, you have a space within marker, I think, where you guys share your information with each other before it goes live. Am I right in saying that, Stephen? Yeah, so I think um, for the majority of these people, people who use this, they'll do all the edits until possibly the one where they seek feedback at the end. Whereas for the one... In, in my marker process, it got funneled up a chain of command. So there's me, and then it went to an editor, then a senior editor, and then a top editor or something like that. I don't know the whole process. of. And so they came into the editing far earlier, probably around that sort of third or fourth stage. They'd already got eyes on it. Oh, so again, it's maybe very situation dependent. But if I was just writing a blog post, I would be doing one to seven, probably myself yourself indeed but again following that process gives you a little bit of confidence and it gives you your your sense of when you can take a break I'm sure as well Stephen because I know in my own work at my desk as I have said before five minutes can become five hours you need a Mm -hmm. sense of break you know natural breaks soft breaks hard breaks in your work so even following that process could delineate when it's time to have a little stroll or have your lunch or Mm -hmm. have a chat with somebody so to take your focus off that tiny little screen. Do you find that difficult to do? Uh, a little bit, yeah. And I, and, and I know I've written on that, you should sleep on your work, but I can also understand that people get excited about their work and they want to just send it out into the world. Very fine balance there. And that takes a lot of self-discipline to leave it for tomorrow. Sure. And sure. I think that, um, but I do agree, yeah, you could definitely, I would do a lot of my edits in one go, and then use the sleeping on it as the chance to to move away from the, the piece of work. Indeed. So but that's, the... I kind of write on impulse, I think is the best way to describe it. So my writing comes quite sporadically and it happens quite quickly. And then I take my break. You take your break. And then after yeah. you slip, slept on it, because of course, sleep is so restorative, you waken up then to do the clean edit then at that stage, you may or may not share it with some others in whom you have confidence for the paper feedback. And then still, you have to do a final edit before it goes out to the world at large. So it's quite a process. Do you have a structure in your day that you're happy with, Stephen? Or is that something that, you know, can you win your morning, for example, to win your day? Do you have routines in place? 
Mm, no, maybe someone should give me a seven-step process to winning my morning. Uh, <laughs> a, a little bit. I, I, I definitely have things like a certain jobs get done first. So my, my like editing is the first thing I do in the morning. So it's kind of structured without being written down that it's a structure sure. I follow. Yeah. Because I think with writing, um, I know you have deadlines and obviously that's an element of mild anxiety. Hopefully, always. I'm sure it's not always yeah, mild anxiety, yeah, yeah. but very motivationally, there'll be at least mild anxiety with that. But then when there isn't a deadline, you need to, well, I, I can only imagine, that, and particularly during COVID, because you're, it's, such, um, it's such a solo run, you'd very much need to have a routine in your day, wouldn't you, to take care of self-care as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it's something I've never really thought about much until I've transitioned from running the business to coming into writing. And I find myself writing little to-do lists and, yeah, going out for the lunchtime walk and yeah, doing, doing something I like to call like a sort of a remote work commute, like just finishing work and going around the block kind of a couple of times as like I love a substitute it. for doing the train that I used to do. So Absolutely. That is a powerful reframe. That is a powerful reframe. So you'd formerly have lost so much time in commute. So now you're engaging in self-generated forward movement, which downregulates the amygdala. It's really healthy, really helpful. So you come back feeling very rested. You've had um, your daily dose of Lux at that stage as well, preferably, which again, very, very helpful in terms of managing when you sleep and when you rise and helping to engage in more healthy sleep then during the night. So all very helpful. And Stephen, you, you you were running a business before and you transitioned into writing. Was your previous business related to writing as well? No, the polar opposite. We were doing um, bespoke um, fabrication for cafes and restaurants. Tell so the polar opposite. Polar opposites, <laughs> yeah, they are yeah, indeed. Yeah, what yeah. is, pray tell, bespoke fabrication for hotels and restaurants? So we were sort of doing design and manufacture of things you would see inside them, say bars, furniture, that sort of thing. Sure. So interior design. So it to- is it yeah. interior design? Wow. Kind of do- doing the, the manufacturing side of it as well. Very interesting. And then, and that is indeed a polar opposite then to launch into writing. Was this always a passion of yours? Uh, writing was something I tried to, I try. I think when you write your a personal statement, I think you're right, when you leave high school yes. before you to apply to university, I tried to split mine between a design course and a, and a journalism angle and the school advised me to choose one or the other. So even at the end of high school, I was on the fence between a career in writing or a career in design and it just happened to be design and then writing came back in during the business I just started basically ranting about what it was like to run a business and that's when I started writing on Medium and posting a wee bit on LinkedIn and then they followed alongside each other for maybe two, two years or so. And then You're straddling some, both, and and you realise yeah, though that plates. sure, oh yeah, and yeah. and but so so you called it then in the end, and why did you call it? Was it uh, the fact that you genuinely didn't have the time to engage in both, that you were going to have to make a choice so that you could give one or other your absolute all? Yeah, there's many things. I think there was certainly getting to the point where I was doing that, going to work with writing on my mind, and then writing with work on my mind. But then we also had a quite a rough year. 
Um, so I can't, I'm losing track with COVID. Uh, 2019 was quite a rough year. So going into 2020, we weren't in a great place. And then COVID kind of made the decision for me because obviously the sector we work in was basically closed. Sure. Well, well done you. So it was a reinvention as well as a passion that had been incubating um, and that you had been working to some extent. It was a reinvention as well. It was a case of needs must. So that's Mm. very, very commendable. And where do you start then? Because I know the world is full of creative people who'd absolutely love to take the time to write the book, air quotes, Um, you know, and as somebody said, very funny, I think it was actually a response to one of your posts and somebody said, yeah, but can the world tell everybody that not everybody has a book in them? (laughs) You know, you know, so we've all, yeah, Yeah, yeah. it's such an, it, it sounds a little bit derogatory, but it is really meant to be funny in that, of course, we could all write a book because, of course, we all have a story. But, um, you know, is every story worth telling and putting out there? You know, so sometimes you need to have just that little bit of impetus to make yours special enough to print and publish and, and put out there and hope that you'll get, as you say, the positive feedback. So only a couple of years um, in your new writing career. What do you feel about it now? Positive. And that's a big step forward for me. Um, I'm a kind of glass half empty guy. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, good. And I think steady income for the first time in possibly all my working life, which is taking a bit of getting used to. Um, That is amazing. Well done. And then, yeah, future prospects now. It's not so much worried about tomorrow as maybe now I'm looking further ahead now. I love it. In, in a positive way. Like. I love it. So that which was a dream before and far in the future has become the reality now. And so you're writing, um, you are editor-in-chief with the Postgrad Survival Guide. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so it's a publication that is aimed at those in their 20s. And we've kind of now rebranded a little to be 20s and beyond, you know, more inclusive. <laughs> Considering I'm about to turn 30, that would about, you know, can't even be involved in their own publication but just a kind of um, I think looking at the kind of post-grad void I guess you would call it and um, just helping that those navigate their way through what me and the co-founder Tom have been through and what almost every single postgraduate goes through Sure. and then um, we're, we're doing really well we've well viewed and well followed and um, just we're onwards and upwards, hopefully. Onwards and upwards. Fantastic. And, you know, whilst it's aimed at the post-grad market, it's a very interesting read for absolutely everybody because those of us who aren't post-grads will probably have kids who are in college or and will soon be post-grads or are post-grads. And so we as parents are very, you know, can take so much from it. It's such an interesting read. But when I was chatting with you before, I was intrigued, tickled pink and very entertained by um, your take on what you didn't learn in school and what you told the te- thought the teachers should have taught you and didn't. And that very big gap. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think we touched on a lot of it, but I, I just feel and obviously now being on this editing side I think I'm now into two and a half years of editing with this publication so you know I've now got the evidence that I'm not alone in feeling this way and uh, I just think school if you don't leave school for university and then for a a career job with a ladder to follow upwards I just you're very unprepared 
Okay. And and I think obviously entrepreneurship, a lot of it is self-learning anyway, but I don't think you have the option to not self-learn. I don't, there's not a, like a, what would you call it, like a module in school or a course in university. You just kind of, if you choose that path, you start from square one yourself. Sure. So, Stephen, you feel that the, the courses that um, that don't have advancement, or sorry, not the courses, but rather the, the jobs and the employment positions that don't have advancement within them require you to seek out the learning and remain in lifelong learning yourself. And that can be a little bit daunting because you don't necessarily know where to go with it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, you still have to self-learn and push yourself in a career job. But I certainly think at least they put the roadmap in front of you, like how where you can go, how you can go, and sure. what you have to achieve to to get there. Of course. And then it's probably incentivized as well, which is very motivational, um, as opposed to when you're in effort in your own entrepreneurial space, you're producing adrenaline all the time. It's draining. Um, remembering, of course, that dopamine buffers adrenaline. So if you've got a growth mindset, which you clearly did, which is why, you know, you might be very easy to get into a fixed mindset, do one thing because you're advised to do it and never see a future in anything else, not necessarily believe in yourself. But um, growth mindset is important in establishing the grit and the endurance that's required to kickstart, to follow through and to complete desired tasks, which is exactly what you're doing. And in terms, we'll say then of the subjective insertion. So you deciding whilst it's open to perception, you deciding what's in this for me, how am I going to stage it? You realized that you needed to get your job, which would have the regular income so that you could sit and relax and get into the really creative world of writing, which I think was where your heart is. Am I right in saying that? Uh, As I grew into it, yes. At the start, I was very much business only. Okay. And the other jobs were like the sort of terrible part-time hotel jobs to support the business yes. and then the business to support the writing so it's been yeah it's been a it's been a long road to you but um no the writing was a bit later so I think at the start it was definitely a few years solely committed to attempting to make a success of our business okay okay but it and- fluctuated so much that that led to like what did you call it side hustles I think is the is the, is the work, topic word at the moment so you know, so that was us being smart and trying to spread our income wide because it was very clear that there was going to be ebbs and flows in how well we were doing. Sure. So you needed other income streams. And it is very difficult. Like writing again like that is such a daunt. It's a bit like any of the creative arts. It is daunting because it isn't as structured as, as you've suggested a career path might be, which is incentivized and has the roadmaps laid out within. But if it's your passion, you would probably always feel that you missed out if you didn't follow it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I certainly would have a bit of a great, yeah, if I hadn't yeah. at least tried to pursue this. Sure. Tell me about the power skills or professional skills that you felt you didn't have at the end of secondary school and even at the end of college. I'll be here for hours. <laughs> Um, where did I start? When I left university, I didn't know how to uh, market myself, how to brand myself, how to find work. I didn't know how to manage my money. I didn't know how to do any taxes. Um, I didn't know how to write an invoice. 
I didn't know how to approach clients. I didn't know how to deal with clients. I didn't really know how to use social media. That was more, again, like a self-taught thing. Which is interesting um, for one so young because I absolutely have no idea about social media and I find it very daunting. But I'm past, or I, well, I would have thought that, um, you know, I'm coming to this now at a much later stage. I've retired completely out of one career. I'm starting another. And so I nearly let myself off the hook at that level for having to learn during COVID yeah, frantically yeah. and still not very successfully about social media. It scares the bejesus out of me. But you're so young that I would have thought you came up, you were weaned on that, weaned on social media but not the case no I think Facebook was only really taken off in my first year of university yeah so I had obviously we sort of adopted it in the sort of first year-ish to send terrible drunken pictures of each other you know around and then but in terms of using it as a business and as a platform none of us were taught that or even encouraged to do that really throughout university Okay, so you're proposing, and I find this very interesting when we chatted before, so you're proposing, and you're really ahead of your time, because you've been working on this and writing in this space pre-COVID, so, and and obviously after COVID, it's going to be very necessary, it'll probably be mandatory, I would imagine, but you are and have been proposing, based on your own experience and that of your colleague in the um, Postgrad Survival Guide, that really there should be a module on professional skills, power skills, not even just soft skills, but soft skills as well in terms of how to interact with people, um, you know, how to just how to build your confidence, how to understand the difference between self-esteem and confidence, not to let one hold the other back, to match your confidence with your capabilities. And if there's a gap there, to learn how to close that gap. So what, what can we do about that as educators? What can the system do? Well, it's a hard question because I know when you're speaking out there, I'm thinking if they told me I was doing that module in university, I'd have probably turned my nose up at it. And then yet now, from the other side, I'm like, wow, I could have done with all those skills. Sure. You sure. Know, 2020 um, vision, Stephen. <laughs> yeah. It's maybe a harder sell than I'm making it. But I also know that, and COVID's accelerated this, but the sort of um, online course space, you know, Google's doing its certified um, courses now that they're saying they'll hold them to the same weight as a, a university degree if you haven't gone to university. What's um, that? So what, what are they offering? It's basically a, a, it's a course that's done online and you, you're certified at the end of it. And I believe if you apply to a job at Google or any of their like affiliate companies, they will view it at the same level as a, a university degree so I think it's like a four-year university degree done in half the time or even oh, a wow. year I'm not sure how fast wow. it is but I know that this is accelerating so fast that maybe it's not even up to the universities to provide it it's maybe just getting affiliated with some of these courses and offering it to students because sure. I guess not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur quite rightly so not everyone really cares that you know how to get a client they're not bothered so I wouldn't be forcing it on anyone as a module, as a mandatory yeah, module, yeah, exactly. Yeah, then you'll turn you'll turn people off it completely. You could do, but then in turn, that's if it was that way inclined. But like every other module, it could be um, you know different shades of the same colors. So it could be just the power skills, and then you pick and choose within that. Is it the entrepreneurial power skills, or is it just soft skills? You know, at the end of the day, the world has changed, and. We probably shouldn't be talking about um, recovery as such, but rather regrowth, because we're not going to go back to the same way things were before. We don't want to. 
everything in chaos theory always ends up better in the end. When, when everything goes awry, by the time the dust settles, it always emerges as a so better you're, version. You're glass, half, you're glass half full. Oh, well, you know, absolutely. I sure <laughs> yeah, am. Yeah, yeah, I sure yeah. am. And funny enough, whilst you jest um, that you're I'm not, not jest, I I actually, no, I think that you, I actually think that you're very positive. Your posts are enlightening and encouraging and insightful and definitely don't read like somebody who has the glass, glass half empty attitude. I, I personally gravitate towards them with great excitement every time because I look to you as an example of um, best practice amongst the younger age group. And I feel the world is a safer place for having lovely young people like you coming up through it with this type of attitude where, you know, inertia just isn't an option. You know, you're okay, you've realized my business isn't working. Well, what am I going to do? I've got bills to pay. It's not, I, the world doesn't owe me a living. It's my job to turn this around, to do something else. Okay, I've got a passion for writing. Let me take that on. It may not work, but I'm going to try it. To me, that's glass brimming over. Not even half full. I think that's glass brimming yeah, over. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting when we chatted as well. Uh, you were talking about the banking skills. Oh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. You, you chatted about, I didn't even know how to open a bank account. I didn't know how to manage my money. All very real. Probably not often said, but I'm very sure something that so many youngsters can resonate with. And even sharing a living space in harmony, understanding the whole idea of chores that need doing. Who's going to build that in? You know, you, you chatted about that as well. Yeah, I, there's one thing I will always be thankful for my university is definitely did a bit of transitioning from boy to man. And well done. I, I took a bit of time within university to do that, of course. But um, the last couple of years, there was some quite fast uh, personal growth. Much needed. Well um, done. And yeah, Did as that used to say, I live with various people and then even after uni, various other people and um, different different cultures as well I've lived with. And uh, yeah, it's very, um, it's just, I don't know how you, how you can teach that skill. I guess that's maybe something you do just have to take a leap of faith and go and do. Yes, and you do. And it's like just education in the school of life, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure that that never stops. I'm sure that's quite attitudinal. I'm sure it's um, personality driven as well. You know, what is your personality? It's how you think, how you act and how you feel. And your personality is always going to affect your personal reality. So if you change at any time how you think, how you act and how you feel, that's changing your personality, that's going to change your personal reality. And obviously, as you live with people, and we live in a very pluralist world now, it's wonderful, um, and everybody is shaking up society. All of the difference is shaking up society and it's making us better people. And our openness to that and, and our awareness of inclusion for what it really is, not just integration, but inclusion, is making every individual a better version of themselves and therefore making society a, a nicer place. So as you were living with these different people and having these different experiences, and as you say, you took a couple of years, I'm sure that's when you should have been probably attending lectures or doing that module, um, equity uh, on yeah. exit module, yes, I'm sure. Um, but, but it is education in the school of life. It's equally as valuable. And you know, things have changed. Well, I'm dying to get your perspective on this, but have things changed around the expectation of when we should be qualified and we step across that line from being a young person training to being the young adult with all of our training done and going gung-ho forward into whatever life, you know, that the world thinks we should be living? 
can you be qualified at a later stage now? And is that okay? Can you perhaps consider yourself never fully qualified, that it's an ongoing thing? Yeah, I don't have much. Uh, I couldn't back this up with any data, but I think it seems that there's an expectation that it's okay to take your time now or, or not. You obviously don't get endless time. No one has endless time. But from what we seem to read coming in from the postcard, people are putting that sort of 20 to 25 years old, but there's less pressure there to like, oh, I'm, I've turned 25 and I haven't figured out my life, you know. I don't see so much of that, which is good. It's like amazing. A lot of people talk about a quarter-life crisis at 25, and that shouldn't exist. You know what I mean? It's far too young to be thinking you've hit a crisis in your life. Absolutely. And to, to the whole use of that word, crisis, is very labor-intensive. And if you think you're in crisis, you will be in crisis, because as mm-hmm. you think you are. So, you know, that in its own right is going to build the big brick wall that's going to be even more difficult to climb over and get kick-started into whatever. So, interestingly, because I know when I finished college, at I literally did my leaving cert at 17, went straight into teacher training college. I had my honours degree at 20 years of age. I passed my driving test within a couple of weeks of getting that. I did my diploma then, which is higher teaching qualification. Um, and by the time that I was celebrating my 21st, I was teaching in my first job in the school that I had gone to at the age of four. My mum taught me in junior infants at four years of age in a particular school in my own hometown. And there was I back teaching in it. And it was wonderful. And it was a great way to start my uh, young adult life. I have absolutely no regrets, but it's not, I don't think, it's an old paradigm and I don't think it's necessary now. In fact, I don't think it's even really possible now because the world has changed so much. Yeah, it's very early. I mean, as I say, I was still doing a lot of growing up at 21, let alone stepping foot into my career job. Sure. And I wonder even, Stephen, then, you know, does that mean that if we accelerate our learning, if those of us that that came from that older paradigm accelerated our learning to be ready for the world at 21? And of course, you went on from there then to try and get a deposit on your first house by the time you were about 23. And you were probably getting married by the time you were about 25 and starting your family at 27. And, you know, it's just one way. There's no regrets. Personally, absolutely no regrets. That was my life. Um, Not much of a life, but my life, as they say. And I wonder then, do people like me who have gone through the process in that way, perhaps at a later stage, do the learning that you guys are doing now in your 20s? Is it just, you know, different timeframes? I guess you're proof that that's happening. My mum's turned to uh, setting up an art and crafts business a couple of years back, like, you know, after sons have gone to university or left the house, she's doing the learning that, yeah, she didn't do then. And I think that's true. And I think for folk my age, I think a lot of my friends and I joke that we are quite possibly going to work till we die. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not sure when retirement's ever going to turn up. So we're starting to look at career as like, okay, that could be 20 to, sure. well, 20 till the end. Absolutely. So I don't need to necessarily have figured it out by 28. Absolutely not. I'm only right at the start. I know we used to be able to, particularly if you were in the permanent and pensionable positions, you know, the round pin and the round hole, the prize was that, uh, you know, you could retire on early retirement if you had the little package by 55. And if not early retirement, you only have to go to 60. And, you know, but then life expectancy has changed as well. And nowadays, I think people are having to work until they're 70 and 75. And, And actually, the lovely thing is people are choosing. 
jokes aside now, people are, I know we do say, well, if I worked three lifetimes, um, I couldn't pay back my debt. And there's various, you know, suggestions like that out there whilst giving the reason for people to work on so long Mm -hmm. and um, pensionable age having been kicked back so much, but also just with growth mindset. A lot of us are just choosing to realize that work is not a four-letter word. It can be just part of who we are. And uh, it's a lovely thing to do. And it's a lovely thing to reinvent yourself at a later stage in life, like your mum, like I have done myself. I suppose, um, again, it's attitudinal. And if you have had that lovely growth space in your 20s, which people seem to be having now, maybe then you don't mind kicking in at 30 and pushing through fairly hardcore till you're 70. But if you've started at 17, straight from secondary school into college, push straight through hardcore till 50, 55, you kind of do need to catch your breath and maybe reinvent yourself, do some of the learning, do some of the traveling at that stage. So it's all a case of when works for you. There's, there are many ways to wash the wear. How about that for an idea, Stephen? Yeah, I'm, I'm buying into the mantra of the find it in your 20s, build it in your 30s, live it in your 40s. I love it. I love it. Hey, I what did happens? tell myself that I'm about to go into the 30s and we're still, we're still kind of finding it. So I'm a little bit up. concerned that you didn't go beyond 50. Can you help? <laughs> please, no, I was gonna, please I was push that mantra on, out by a couple of decades, will you? Give I was me some touch hope. On your point there that when uh, in our old workshop, there was an 80 year old who had worked in the building all his life, um, various companies, now is, now is sort of uh, part owner of the the building and he was how we got in and I did find myself looking at him sometimes thinking that's going to be me yeah respect. still coming into a dusty old workshop at 80 because yeah. why not you know why not, why still, not got, still got time and still got my health so this is it and you know a lot of us again attitudinal so it's how do you get your basic emotional needs met we have to have our basic emotional needs met throughout life otherwise we fall into ill health physically mentally and emotionally so If you can get your basic emotional needs met through your work by feeling status and achievement, getting meaning and purpose, connecting with community, um, having lovely close friendships, intimate relationships, that sense of who you are being expressed in your work, then why would you close the door on that? It could actually be you know, an exit of many colors, if you do, because you might find that if you're not having your basic emotional needs met, that really all the time off is not, not very valuable. I, I, again, I do really think it's, um, yeah, the meaning that you attach to things. On the subject of which, Stephen, I was going to ask you about um, health and well-being amongst youngsters. So you're attaching your work at the moment, for the most part, to the, that age group, the post-grad age group. How are kids doing? How are they feeling? What's the mojo like? Uh, COVID-related, but even pre-COVID in general, how are youngsters doing? Um, I would say it's uh, struggling, hmm. I think. And I think it seems like a lot of things are, are harder for I keep saying my generation, but I'm almost too old to say that now. Like it's almost like the the ones below us that tell me that skinny jeans aren't cool anymore. Oh, listen, my um, husband is 53 and he wears ripped skinny jeans and he rocks. Oh, well, they look no, fabulous on him. Yeah, that's what they say. The moment your parents wear things, then you know the the kids don't want to wear them anymore. 
but no, I think uh, I think struggle. I think and I think COVID. So, for example, my brother's in university right now, and it's been like a contact-free university year, and that's a huge part of universities' appeal that they're not getting access to. And I'm sure there'll be further knock-on effects, especially anyone who started university this year and has basically spent it in isolation. I think if you don't form, you know, bonds and social sort of groups now I'm not quite sure how you, the rest of your university experience plays out because sure. you know you obviously do most of that socialising right at the start form your kind of bonds break off and live with certain groups and they've kind of missed all that yeah and I even think the ones finishing high school like fifth and sixth year high school was my prime it was about only two years of school I enjoyed partly because I did less of school <laughs> you know but that's another that's another thing no one should follow. How did you there. manage? No, please do not follow that example. How did you manage to do that when you had very important exit exams to prepare for? Well, we, we kind of I got quite good at winging things, I suppose, is what you would say. But, the great um, writing skills were obviously showing their signs at that stage, and you were yeah, able to perhaps. wing it right. But I think for me, that that final year of school was huge in terms of like um, growing socially and sort of. Uh, Sort of finding how I fit and and with people and and environments. So I think again, if my sixth year was contact free, that would have been like a huge loss for for me. So mm-hmm. I think if they weren't struggling already, they're going to be struggling. Well, they will have been struggling, you know, this past year. And I don't know how long it will take for us to see what actual you know knock on effects it's had, but. I know, even in terms of, we chatted about the the soft skills that you felt um, you you were lacking. I mean, it is going to be very difficult to build in, learn, catch up on the soft skills for employability when people are working in such a separatist way and there's such polarization and there's such uh, loneliness, I'd imagine. As you suggest, loneliness and loneliness is, you know, it's, it's hazardous really because it erodes all of your wellness and your probably your self-esteem because a lot of our self-esteem comes from the connections that we make and the coping skills that we derive from being able to manage in community and getting the affirmation as an important member of the group. You know, it's quite ancestral, really, that, that we need that. And I, I talk about mind-derived health optimization. So being able to manage your mind to keep your body well. Um, being able to manage your self-talk, being able to um, build a healthy relationship with anxiety and tell yourself that different story. And I think it's probably in that space that youngsters, because they're not able to connect at the moment in their college experiences and not even in their college experience, but at all, realistically. I I don't know what it's like for you guys now, but here we're still very restricted. Um, So yeah, it's injurious to personal growth and development, isn't it? Totally. I read some... Uh, article the other day it was a, someone's personal experience and starting a job entirely remote and like trying to meet the team through these huge group meetings where everyone was a tiny little square on the on the screen they, and they were talking about how they can't get a gauge on whether they're they're fitting in they can't get a gauge on what someone's like outside of the work environment because they've only ever seen them what you know there's no what they call it, cooler talk or you know coffee talk there's no yeah. they're missing all that aspect of uh their career and, and some of this person was like first career so it's like the first experience of stepping into the workplace but the workplace is the bloody bedroom you know or the sofa or whatever so 
I don't know. I, I, there will be some knock-on effects from it. I know the studies are saying like there's going to be a like a mental health. I know you said the word crisis isn't good, but this may well be a, a crisis coming. Sure. Um, there, there's bound to be some serious knock-on effects from. Like, I know I've had a privileged quarantine, um, and I'm very aware of that. So I know for others it's not been the same. It hasn't been the same, and but I'm so delighted that you're able to be to practice gratitude and to say and to realize that you have had a privileged quarantine because again in practicing the gratitude for that you make space for even more of that good fortune to come your way it is very self-directed as well circumstance can be extremely difficult for some people and i'm working with a lot of people whose environments are very hostile so people having to work from home and very sadly relationships um that just are fractious and a spotlight has been shone on that throughout COVID and it leaves environments extremely hostile. So it's very difficult for people to live in a space which isn't harmonious from a personal perspective, but it's extremely challenging to try and do your work from a hostile space. So maybe three or four people more in one space, all trying to work from home or do their college work or just live and be. Um, and, and maybe relationships are... Uh, fractured, I suppose, to say the least. It becomes very dysfunctional and very disabling. People are quite unwell. And as you suggest, um, there's a lot of despair. And I do imagine that um, that will be the next episode that we have to deal with globally, you know, death by despair, for sure. Um, so if you were giving advice to the postgrad students or, or those that are at college, what would your advice be? How do they gear change neurologically? How do they change their approach, change their attitude? How do they, I suppose, find their mojo in this very strange time, knowing that it is going to change? Yeah, I think, well, based on my experience, I think you really just, you just have to, like, if you don't try straight after uni or school, the window closes very quickly, I think, because then, so in my case, you get settled in a in a place, in a city with a partner, and then the priorities and what you need out of work become very much, you know, it's money for bills, money for whatever, the wedding that I've got coming up, you know, whatever like that, it's like, very <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and I couldn't be doing what I tried in my early 20s right now because there's there's things out of my control in terms of what I need in. So that would always be my advice. Like if you're not going to, from sort of 20 to 25, if you're not going to give something a shot there, you might be a bit more like yourself. You might then have to, do the career until you then get the next window where kids have left, life is settled to then. That but is to ask, asking a 20-year-old to try and project forward 20, 30 years is a big ask. So I would always advise like try and give it a shot at the start. Sure, because uh, I don't know that, you, I actually don't think that's a big, I think that's really, really mature and really emotionally intelligent advice. So from your own experience, and you're still within that decade as such, so it's it's more credible just. coming from you, just yeah. about, but it yeah. is more credible coming from you. So the idea being, um, we have agreed that there, you don't have to have um, the quarter life crisis, but that you can push yourself, use that, uh, that um, subjective insertion, drop in the dopamine, drop in the, uh, feel the pleasure in the drive towards something. It doesn't have to be the full end goal, but 
begin getting there, take the steps towards it so that you are engaging that ability within yourself to feel good about everything that you achieve, celebrate the small wins and get on the treadmill to some extent. Because like you say, at a later point, the other parts of natural growth and development will happen where you there is an element of settlement and you do have to take on a mortgage and you know you will perhaps engage in a more long-term relationship which requires planning for a future and paying bills. So you don't have all of the the space afforded to just your own growth and development. So grab that chance at that early stage. Yeah, totally. Because something I, I took me a longer than it should have to realize was that like, especially when the business wasn't going well, it was like it didn't just affect me. And I like to think it only did and I could keep it like my problems, but like it took a while to realize that even if it's just simple things like my mood would affect my partner or if I have no money to do something, that means she can't do something because, and I think the longer you leave it, the more you'll be taking on your shoulders because your business, not only you're building a business or a writing career, you're also juggling, you know, your relationships, which definitely get affected by what you do or what you choose to do. They sure do. They sure do. That is very wise for one so young, Stephen, very wise for one so young. And um, I suppose from that perspective, then, again, looking at having our basic emotional needs met. So when you are in a space which isn't healthy for you, which isn't productive, how it has a knock on effect on all of the other aspects of your life. So you have to start somewhere changing something. You've got to change that environment to some extent, even little small tweaks of changing your environment so that there will be the more positive knock on effect. Um, I suppose in relation, I'm prompted then to think about um, those ill health effects that can happen and those lifestyle practices that can kick in when things aren't going very well. So you would, I'm wondering, what is the feedback from that younger generation regarding addiction and addiction issues and how they're managing this um, isolation? So people that would have been perhaps unfortunate enough to have fallen foul of addiction, are they managing through COVID or are they finding that um, COVID is making addiction issues worse? I can't really say much on that as a subject, but I do have noticed a lot of uh, talk of like a social media addiction mm-hmm. with my generation that was already problematic pre-COVID, but now when you're stuck inside all day, you know, the, the doom schooling, I think they call it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, I, that seems to be a sort of major addiction that my generation has, has definitely got to learn to moderate better sure I don't know much about sort of substances or anything I wouldn't want to comment on anything about yeah. that but um, I was wondering was there any feedback through those um again just through the the youngsters that you'd be addressing in your writing I I find myself that um it has been extremely hazardous for youngsters who had been I suppose trialing um drugs and drink at that early stage, it, it can be just, I suppose, um, to some extent, some people consider it like a rite of passage. And in the normal run of the mill, you'd like to think that they will try it and give it up because they see its ill effects. But then in lockdown, a lot of people have had to face demons that they didn't even realize were going to present to, um, I suppose, to such a huge degree. And it is very difficult then to access the help because if you don't have the just the movement in your life to 
take your attention off it, you can actually get focused on it and it can get quite out of hand quite quickly. So I do I do see myself in my therapy room that that has become quite an issue. And as you say as well, um, social media but and gaming, you know, these are all addictions yeah, and yeah. they're very hazardous to uh, physical um, health as well because when you interrupt your those particularly dark hours within your circadian rhythm between 11 o'clock at night and four o'clock in the morning with bright lights um, you are affecting obviously quality sleep which is the time in which you are meant to repair your your hardware in your slow wave sleep and then in your REM space I suppose it's where you um, preserve your genetic inheritance where you work through those loose threads from throughout your day metaphorically dreaming out your troubles and traumas and when you interrupt that those darker hours within your circadian rhythm with bright lights, you're leaving yourself very prone to chronic ailment and to depression, of course, chemical depression. So um, addictive issues being a, that bit more, I, I think that bit more challenging for people in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I can imagine without the structures of like, um, obviously people can function with addiction, but without the structures of like job, seeing your family, seeing your friends, these people would spot like something's different with you or something's not right. I think like boredom and uh, if you're unemployed, like I can see the temptation. I've always thought my personality could edge on that a little bit. Like, so I don't, I don't partake at all. I sort yeah. of worried, worried about my own yeah. uh, tendencies. So I can totally see the connection there. Yeah. Yeah, because I suppose even just having to get up for work, having to drive to work, having to meet people and being literally up close and personal where obvious, you know, physical presentation could be a little bit of a giveaway. Um, th that can be somewhat preventative in a, only in a very small way and only in the very beginning. I mean, I, everything yeah, tells yeah. its tale eventually. But like you say, it could be a deterrent to some extent, which it just isn't evident now and it is challenging I, I'm seeing a lot of challenge amongst young people which saddens me for them because life is a long long road um, yet for you know and they have all of that to face now at some point and it's not even as easy to access the help you might suggest well look maybe it's a little bit more anonymous you can get some help online but help online is great absolutely great when the face-to-face -face isn't available. But face-to-face -face is really what you need when you've got those kind of very pertinent and very personal issues to discuss, perhaps, you know, adverse childhood experiences to work through, maybe deconditioned trauma, et cetera. Um, so it's absolutely fantastic in the absence of face-to-face, -face, but face-to-face -face mm -hmm. is so important when you're dealing with those um, very serious addictions and, and, and um, addictive tendencies, as you say. And even then back to the habits and practices that aren't healthy for us, people perhaps not getting their daily dose of looks. So, um, you know, not getting up and getting out at those, for those couple of very important hours when just after the sun rises or those couple of hours just before the sun sets in the evening, they're very, very important times to have exposure to natural light in order to reset your circadian rhythm, reset that master clock. And again, because people can kind of call the shots in terms of the hours that they work, they're missing that exposure to natural light. And it, again, is having a very um, chemically depressive reaction in, in people, which is leaving them minus their mojo and minus their motivational energy. And, and they're, they're worried and confused about that. And then, then, of course, the worry cycle 
makes it worse and it interrupts sleep and so it continues. So, um, Stephen, we're fast approaching the end of the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. You are a tonic, I can say. I'm going to suggest everybody keep an eye on you on LinkedIn. Read your posts. They're insightful and um, interesting to all ages. I can say that from my own experience. I wonder, have you had a chance um, to have a little think about whole and one and what whole and one means to you, Stephen? Yeah, a little. I think I've touched on this in a couple of posts, but I think what this last year has shown me is that I don't actually need that much to feel whole and one. And I think before the pandemic turned up, I'm just as guilty as any other 20-something-year-old that thought, you know, it was it was money, some kind of title to put on a wee badge on my desk or something, you know, and uh, sort of prestige is like the things that are more important. Whereas now I've realised after a year of, well, A, keeping my health and everyone around me keeping their health and then me and my partner have managed to survive together <laughs> and we're still going to get married in the summer. So, <laughs> you know, we're survived. And uh, and things like you said there with like going out for the walks, I've realised that simple things like that are, all we need, if I'm, you know, so as long as I've got my health and everyone around me has got their health, I think that's my big takeaway from the last sort of year or so. Is that oh. you don't need that much to be whole and one. Fantastic. That is such good advice. And it's so credible to come from one so young. I am so delighted for you to be so happy. So delighted for you to know that no matter what the question, love is the answer. And it really is. And, and love is the answer begins with self-love, which is what you've just described yeah. there in terms of that serotonin, that, um, that feel-good factor from within is really where it all begins. And everything else is possible when you can self-regulate. Self-regulation is encouraged and um, helped without a doubt when you're in relationships where you can co-regulate and where you feel the love in the room. But at the end of the day, the ability to self-regulate is where it's all at. That serotonin, that self-love, that self-gratification and um, that sense of self, literally, as a whole person within the universal one is, as far as I'm concerned as well, I would agree with you, Stephen, that's your lottery and everything else is a bonus. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. Oh, listen, it has been a pleasure. You are an absolute tonic. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I will be, I'm your biggest fan. I'll be following all of your posts. I can't wait to read the book. Can't wait to read the book. As an educator, I, I'm so delighted for youngsters to have people like you getting out ahead of this and, you know, gleaning from your experience what they need to know and getting it down in such eloquent and um, articulate print, a, a pen picture every time. Stephen, thank you so, so much. Thank you for joining uh, me. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, guys, I'm going to sign off there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Whole and One with Sheila. Please tune in every Wednesday to hear our stories of love, wisdom and truth. And remember, guys, you can't rewrite the beginning of your story, but you can pick up at any time and write a totally different ending. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Slán Thank you again for joining us for Whole in One. Please join your host, Sheila E. Hirine, for another edition of this amazing program next Wednesday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Until we meet again, remember, no matter the question, love is the answer. You've got this.